Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you give us to be encouraged and challenged and provoked to good works. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us the opportunity tonight to uh, come and hear about the blessings that you gave uh, Elaine at this uh, trip in Israel and Jordan. And we pray, Lord God, for the needed clarity for her to convey the insights and uh, uh, the sermon that you have for each of us to learn. And we pray, Lord, for receptivity and willingness and ability, Lord, for us to hear what you want us to hear. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Shalom, shalom. Shalom. Um, I appreciate the prayer very much because about an hour ago, a good number of my slides just disappeared. Uh, I had tried to insert a few videos here and there, just short videos. Uh, some of them were one of them I took when I was walking in Hezekiah's tunnel and with my headlamp and sloshing in the water and just talking about what Hezekiah's tunnel is like with the experience and the biblical uh, passage that it referred to. And uh, so that's one of them that probably threw a monkey wrench in my, uh, in my slideshow. Uh, a couple of other ones, one of them were uh, when we were in the Shvela, we just walked around uh, and uh, looking at uh, various ancient sites to some tells or uh, excavations that had been done in some ancient sites. And, uh, you know, we often end up in the middle of a, a, a group of sheep and goats and with the shepherd just kind of looking at us and and we walk with the sheep and the sheep are all over and, and so I had taken a little video of that, that was kind of fun. I had taken a little video when I was at Qumran, uh, standing on the site and uh, kind of uh, scanning a bit, uh, especially in the area of K4 where most of the, the scrolls were found or a lot of the important scrolls were found. And so anyways, uh, whatever that was, they're not in this presentation now. I restored what I could and uh, then go from there. So I, I was thinking about that. What can I say? How many of you have been to Israel? <laughs> How, many of you? <laughs> How many of you have been to Jordan? So this trip was very interesting because I've been in Israel several times, lived there for almost four years, went on sabbatical, studied there, took uh, Denver Seminary groups there. And, um, and I'd been to Petra and Jerash and Amman for just a three-day uh, short Jordan trip. But this time I ended up uh, with the three-week that I had done four times before the academic course at the Jerusalem University College in Israel and then two weeks in Jordan, which was really uh, amazing. So uh, I'm not going to show the slides of the Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock and some of the things that we see on, on uh, you know, typical pictures of Israel, but I'll show you some other areas where we've been and uh, some of the things we did. So why go? Well, I go for different reasons. One of them is, of course, my love for uh, Israel, for the place, for the people, uh, my love for scripture, and when you're there, scripture comes alive. And also I go for academic purposes. I can't teach the Old Testament without uh, understanding the geography, the topography uh, of the land and understanding the stories well, understanding why they happen, where they happen, and this type of thing. So um, I go for a number of reasons. And uh, so where do we go? All over. We go to places where tourists go and we go to places where tourists don't go. And uh, beautiful places. The country is small, but it's so diverse from north to south and east to west. What to do? Anything. Uh, <laughs> that's right, just everything under the sun. 
Uh, I remember one time when I had come back from Israel, I'd, I think after my sabbatical, I went, or after I studied there, went to Canada and spoke with, uh, uh, visited one of my brothers, and his friends were there, and they had been to Israel, so my brothers said, oh, my sister just arrived for Israel, from Israel, and they said, where's your tan? <laughs> they had spent time on the beach in Tel Aviv, <laughs> but that's usually not the reason why I go to Israel. And uh, so anyways, they were, they thought I was boring. And so anyways, what to see. We know better. <laughs> and so I thought I'd start with uh, just a general um, map of our friendly neighborhood. And uh, when, I, when I have discussions with people about um, Israel and how some of them, they've never been there, never been to the Middle East, and have no concept of the geography, have no concept, and they, they paint such a negative picture of Israel. And, and I ask them, have you ever looked at a map and see you know, what exactly is massively surrounding uh, the state of Israel and the small and the, the amazing things that come out of this land because of uh, a blessed people and creativity and giftedness and all this. So I like to put Israel and realize that it's a God thing, that uh, Israel is there and is still there and uh, as a, uh, a fulfillment of the promise of God. Now, another map that I wanted to look at, and I couldn't find too many maps unless they're maps that were not helpful, that did not include the West Bank, but uh, one thing that we do when we go for academic purposes is we study the roads, the main roads that, uh, uh, that cross and that go north, south, east, west, and people coming from Mesopotamia, people coming from Egypt, and why was Israel always this, what they call this land bridge? Well, major uh, highways are, are, there's the King's Highway that goes from north to south, and that goes all the way to the Euphrates, and then uh, you can follow the Euphrates into Mesopotamia. Then if people wanted to come and follow the coast, they would cut uh, uh, north of the Sea of Galilee, which is the little blue spot there, and the Dead Sea here, and they would follow the coast. So the coastal highway instead was one of the major highways. And then there's also the road that is on the top of the, the hills uh, in the center of the country. So when we study there, we study the geography, the roads, because the things that are important in survival for any people is really water source, food, roads, uh, having access to, uh, uh, to the resources. And so that is one of the things. Another thing we look at is the major bodies of water. There are some major uh, rivers that break the country into different areas. So seeing the Zered River and seeing the Arnon and seeing the topography in those areas really made sense uh, uh, in understanding why Moab went from this area to this area and Edom started from this area to this area and the interaction between them and how difficult it was for the Israelites to make their way uh, into the promised land because of the way the geography is and the topography. This map shows a little bit more of the topography. Of course, you can see the hills all the way here. And you can see in the, in the uh, Jordan Valley here, it's quite dark on both sides. It's because you have uh, the cliffs and it's not easy to make your way up. You can, it's great hiking. And, uh, but uh, when the Israelites came across, they asked permission, can we go through your, uh, your territory? And the Edomites said no, and the Moabites said no, and created uh, conflict. So it was not easy because of the uh, topography. It was not easy for the Israelites to kind of find a way where they would stay on the edge and not constantly be in conflict with the people. 
So I'll show some pictures that have to do with uh, what we saw, the topography. Here, we're on top, we're in Jordan. There's Israel on the other side. And this is the Dead Sea. So we're uh, quite high up. And as you can see, the roads, it's not easy to navigate your way down even to the body of water, to the Dead Sea. Because the, the, the wadis or the valleys are quite steep and not easy to, uh, to hike. And plus, if you have rain, those are places where you're going to get some, uh, uh, some uh, flash floods, thank you. Uh, that's right. So you have to be careful. And apparently every year you have people killed in flash floods in Israel, in the southern part, especially in the desert. And people who are driving or people who are hiking, because it takes you so much by surprise. And I'm sure it's probably the same, you know, probably in the mountains here, I don't know. Now here, uh, this is a picture of uh, what you would face if you're going up from the Jordan River up to Jerusalem. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think Aaron's going to go to Israel next time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so this is one part. Of course, you have the modern road now that goes up to Israel. But if you hike from... Uh, let's say from um, Jericho up to Jerusalem, there are some areas that are uh, harder to climb. They're not all like this, uh, but it's not the nice new road. Uh, there are some areas you can hike the Wadi Kelt, they call the, the dry riverbed uh, called Wadi Kelt, and you, um, you still encounter some uh, old boundary stones, uh, Roman boundary stones, and the old Roman road. Uh, you, there are some portions of the old Roman road that is still there. So when I'm in that area, especially going up to Jerusalem, it took us eight hours to hike from Jericho to Jerusalem. And, uh, and really, it was a blessing that I could do it because the week before, I was flat on my back on the floor. My back was in so much pain, I could barely walk or stand up. And it's a good thing we didn't go down from Jerusalem to Jericho because I could not have done it. Going up was much better for my back, so uh, so I went up with the group, and uh, so it's it's beautiful, it's um, of course serene, pristine, and there are so many things that take place in the desert, uh, in scripture, that when you're in the desert where there's not much, uh, you know, you have time to think, and you have time to observe, and you have time to. Uh, to pray and to, you know, you see an animal or you see plants in the desert and that kind of thing, and it's uh, so interesting. So when I think of people coming to offer sacrifice at the temple or people coming from the north for the three main feasts and going up to Jerusalem, they came from the north, it was easier for them to come through the, um, the Jordan Valley because it's flat in the Jordan Valley. You just follow the Jordan Valley and then here you start going up. Jerusalem is here. And so rather than coming uh, over the top of the hills in Samaria is not, the roads are not as nice and it's not as uh, easy to navigate. So when I think of, of um, Israelites going up to Jerusalem to worship uh, and offer sacrifice and worship for the feast, uh, it was not an easy ride. You know, it was not an easy hike. Uh, it took uh, quite a few days and in the heat. And this is another aspect of, uh, of the desert. This is actually in the north. This is the Golan Heights, which are really flat. And uh, so we were in Jordan looking at uh, Israel with a valley in between. <coughs> and so we did that at several places. Now here is what we looked like when we hiked from, uh, we walked, hiked down for a couple of hours uh, in the Wadi Kel towards Jericho. That's more recent uh, picture. And uh, it's just little roads right uh, along the, the, you know, the side of the mountain. 
and uh, that's how people would have traveled. And when you you walk those areas, you can still see remnants of aqueducts that Herod had built uh, from the top of the Judean hills to bring water down to his palace down in Jericho, because he had palaces all over the place. He had palace. Uh, the Herodian in the south, and he had this palace in, in Jericho, his winter palace, and he had the palace in, of course, in Jerusalem, and palace in in uh, in um, and Masada, and Caesarea. in the north, Caesarea. Thank you. And so, uh, you know, you can see sometimes some of the remnants of the construction that they had done way back when. And you could see that the water would have just flown, uh, uh, flowed, not flown, but mm -hmm. uh, flowed downwards uh, towards Jericho. So we hide this. Occasionally you come across, uh, um, you know, crosses that have been placed here and there along the way. And, of course, the joke is, well, this in remembrance of those who fell down uh, in the ravine, you know, or in the, but that's not so. And there are some places uh, where you have monasteries built inside uh, the rock itself, and uh, monks who lived in the desert uh, and just prayed. There are places where you have a whole monastery, uh, but then next to the monastery in the mountains you have these holes where they would go and live and spend days there and just uh, eat barely anything and drink a little water and pray. And uh, so it's interesting, the history uh, as you walk this journey and you think of thousands of years ago and you think of, of uh, less than that in the Christian uh, era also and how this was used. So again, uh, we look at another Desert area, this is actually, I believe, the Zered that divides uh, Edom and Moab. So, again, you can see it's not easy. And if you're coming with a, a whole group, an army, whole group of people, battles are not easy in that area. Warfare is, is hard. Uh, even living there is hard. There are not a lot of oases that are there. And now they build a dam. Uh, of course, that's a modern dam and uh, to be able to keep some of the water. And uh, so this is in Jordan, in the south of Jordan. And the same here, uh, same area. And so we had to take these roads down all the way to the bottom, and then we had to take the roads up all the way to the top on our way to Petra, uh, on our way south and on our way to Aqaba. So uh, Jordan, most of Jordan is really flat is really completely flat. It's just the western edge of the Jordan and some of these canyons that are that divide major areas that are uh, uh, hilly or, or more treacherous. But most of Jordan is flat and then what you see from there, if you go east, you just simply, it's the plains, the desert, uh, and there's not much there. And uh, so now this is in the south of, um, in the Negev, in what they call the Wadi Zin. It may not be the same Wadi Zin as uh, uh, the one mentioned in the Bible, but it's in that area. It's uh, in the south. And so we hike this whole area, and occasionally you come to a water pool like this. And uh, what I was thinking, and then we hiked all the way to the top, I'll show you another picture as we're climbing. And uh, as, we, as we hike, it's like hiking in the Grand Canyon. Can you imagine a million people with the animals, the babies, the mothers, the donkeys, the, you know, the, the, crying, the babies being born in, in some of those canyons, the, and living in those areas in the heat, really hot during the day, and it gets quite cold at night once the sun is gone. And so very difficult, and it gives me compassion for the Israelites. Having hiked in the desert in some of these areas, and this is a nice, refreshing area because you have water pools there, but it helps me uh, have compassion on the Israelites in their complaints in the book of Numbers and the book of Exodus and Numbers, because I think, how long would I last 
living the life that they were living. And so we hike all the way to the top, but at least I know at the top there's an air-conditioned bus waiting for us, <laughs> and for which I'm very thankful. And, uh, and lunch and, uh, and fresh pita of the day with whatever it is that uh, they give us. So here is they've carved on the edge of the mountain uh, some steps for us to go up and at some point the steps stop and then there are some ladders you have to go up uh, ladders one by one and then you keep going on the side of the mountain then there's another ladder and so it's really fun uh, it's exhausting it's a long it takes a few hours to to make it to the top but it's so beautiful and uh, it's observing nature plus making you think about people living in that area and having to struggle with uh, um, with you know all the obstacles that they face now they didn't have carved steps on the side of the the mountain at that time now they they have them there for us the next picture is taken from um, from Jordan and uh, this is looking at, is this it, the Sea of Galilee? Yeah. Yes. And so a couple of days before, we actually were navigating some of the roads to go up to the Golan Heights. And, uh, and a couple of days later, here we find ourselves in northern uh, Jordan, northwest Jordan, right on the edge, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and um, they have a yeah, beautiful view. Jordan is beautiful. There's a lot. It's not as developed as Israel is, but it's it's got beautiful areas and a lot of uh, you know a lot of hills, areas that are more um, have more agriculture. Uh, but less developed than what you see just across the border. And so there's a picture I have later on, I think it's still there, um, of us being uh, a stone's throw, being in Israel a stone's throw from uh, Jordan, and then the next day we were in Jordan a stone's throw. Uh, you could have just walked in the water, but probably lived consequences for it and crossed into Jordan, where uh, the baptism place is by Jericho, east of Jericho, very, very close. And so, uh, same with Aqaba, you're very close to Israel. So you, can, you have a different view of Israel from being uh, on, on that side and looking, because I, I was used to being on the other side and looking at Jordan. But spending a couple of weeks and always looking at the Jordan Valley from the east side rather than from the west side was really interesting. The things that I could see that I that I had not seen by being in the land. So this was an interesting uh, uh, view, and from the east side of the Galilee. The next section is I was thinking, what is uh, one reason why I love going to Israel? Is is the people I meet and the people who, all kinds of people, uh, being in the Middle East or Israel and Jordan in this case. And uh, here is a couple that I met a couple of years ago. He is a Messianic, well, they're both uh, Jewish believers. And he, they are in Kfar Saba, or they were in Kfar Saba uh, uh, a little while back. And uh, the way he became a believer is he had finished his time in the army and he came to uh, America, you know, to see what he could do and uh, joined this group of Israelis who sold paintings or pictures in hotels, you know, sometimes you see that advertised. And uh, so for some reason, you know, he ended up being arrested because the company for which he was working was not kosher. And uh, so he was arrested and ended up in jail. And so in jail, I mean, he was panicking with his buddies. And, and uh, he had a vision of the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him as he was in prison. And uh, he had heard this big black guy come to the jail and preach the gospel. But, you know, those three Israelis, they were not interested. But, but uh, one night... Uh, 
the Lord gave him a vision. And uh, so he went to his buddies and, and said, you know, I saw, a, I saw the guy, the big black guy he's talking about. You know, I saw him, I saw him. And they thought he had flipped. And so they were very concerned for his mental health. And so they ended up uh, contacting his family in Israel. So when they were released, he was released and was immediately taken to the airport to fly back to Israel. <coughs> and he couldn't wait to tell his family. You know, I'm so excited. I, I saw the Yeshua, and, you know, and uh, so his family had already made arrangements for a psychiatrist to be ready for him when he came back home. And thinking he really had gone bunkers. And uh, so anyways, he has such an amazing testimony of meeting the Lord in a supernatural way. And so we hear of people having dreams and visions. And for him, was an Israeli in an American jail and for selling paintings in a hotel, you know. And, but the Lord had him there because uh, the Lord had something for him. It was to reveal to him Yeshua. So very interesting uh, fellow. Wonderful wife and little girl. And then another person some of you have heard about, some of you may have met, Tassaada, who wrote a couple of books. The first book he wrote was Once an Arafat Man, <coughs> because he used to be part of Fatah. And uh, he was a sniper for Fatah and killed a lot of Israelis, and uh, eventually left. Uh, Israel wanted to get out of this lifestyle. He had gone to... Uh, to Israel when he was, I think, 16, from Saudi Arabia, had left his family and said he was going to join Arafat's uh, movement or organization, which he did. And uh, he ended up uh, being trained to be a sniper. And then he was so good that he ended up training other young people to be good snipers. And uh, then, you know, uh, then drove Arafat around. He was his driver for a while and he definitely drives like he would be his driver. And uh, he's a little bit a, a hairy uh, driver. But um, at one point, he wanted to get out of that lifestyle, so he decided that to, uh, to come to America. So he managed, I don't know all the details, but managed to come to America. And he was told that if he married an American, he could get a green card and he could work. So he looked for, you know, uh, someone he could marry and met Karen, who already had a, uh, a son, I believe, or daughter, I can't remember which one. They have a son and a daughter now. But um, So he, uh, he met her and, you know, dated for not very long, but, and he was Muslim. And she was from Christian background, but probably nominal Christian. And so they got married, and uh, he got his green card, and then he just returned to being the good old Tass that he was, and the womanizer, and uh, uh, living his Muslim life, his own style of Islam, and uh, became very good at, uh, at um, uh, in the restaurant business, especially in French restaurants. And so he became manager of uh, you know, a very good French restaurant. And one of his regular customers was the CEO of an insurance company who would bring clients there all the time. So he, you know, he became friends with him. And so one day the CEO uh, started talking to him about sharing the gospel with him. And he'd say, oh no, I'm a Muslim. And uh, one day the CEO invited him to his home and uh, talked to him and put a Bible next to him, and he jumped off the couch. I mean, he wanted nothing to do with that book. And, uh, but by the end of the evening, the Lord got a hold of him. He was on his knees weeping and asked Jesus to be his Savior. And so his life was changed, transformed, and a few years later, and of course he went home and said to his wife, I became a Christian. They said, yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, so it took a while for, for him for, you know, to not convince them with words, but to, uh, to let them see that his life had changed dramatically. And so 
A few years later, the Lord spoke to them to go into ministry, to join the ministry of that CEO who was now in full-time ministry, and so he was in ministry with them. And then a few years later, the Lord spoke to them about coming back to the land. So they went to Gaza, the Gaza Strip, and started a preschool. And uh, so for a couple of years they were there, and then they went to Jericho. And it's when they were in Jericho that I was on sabbatical, and I came across this book. Once an Arafat man, I wrote, uh, read the book and thought, I have to get a hold of these people. Because one thing that I like to do when I go to Israel, especially when I bring a group of students or friends of the seminary, is to have them meet people who've had real encounters with Yeshua. And whether uh, MBBs, Muslim background believers, or Jewish believers, and really hear testimonies there, because that's one thing the news doesn't tell us about the, the Middle East. And so, uh, I finished the book, I wrote an email, said, you know, you don't know me, but this is who I am, I'm in Jerusalem right now, uh, I wonder if it's possible for me to come and see you, and I thought they were still in Gaza, so I didn't know if I'd be able to make it there, and, but, uh, so Karen, his wife, replied immediately, she said, we're actually in Jericho, do you want to come this weekend? And so, sure, so I took the taxi and, and went down and spent the day with them, and it was such a blessing to to hear from them and the way the Lord has used them to minister to the Palestinian people, especially in the Jericho area. They're helping them start businesses. They started, this. the building here is a uh, youth center that they started in Jericho, a cultural center for young men, young, young women. Uh, they have a preschool, uh, uh, in that building, they do all kinds of activities because he doesn't want the young people to end up uh, doing what he did. And so, and they share the gospel with them, but they have Muslim teachers and, and Christian teachers and volunteers. So, you know, I'll tell people say, well, what can I do to help anybody over there? Well, that's one place. They're always looking for volunteers. And when I was there, I went on the roof of the building and uh, you can see the whole Jordan Valley, and you can see across the Jordan Valley, and what I could imagine, I was working on the Joshua commentary at the time, I thought, there's Shittim. That's where they were before they crossed over on this side. And, you know, and I thought, gee, they could see them all. You know, and no wonder they were trembling in their boots because you can really see a long ways and seeing these people whose God nobody can even stop. And so, uh, so now he, uh, Tass wrote another book. It's called The Mind of Terror. It just came out in the past year. Very interesting book also. He explains how people end up uh, in ISIS, for example, or how they end up, uh, uh, you know, following that lifestyle. And so he's, uh, um, that's what's happening in the land. So when I think of what's happening in the land, it's not just the political stuff, it's really God is at work. And uh, Isn't his life in danger? You know, he has, he has felt safe. He's respected in among the Palestinians. Wow. And uh, they know his background, they know who he is, they don't bother him. And, and Israel know who he is, and they've allowed him to come back. And, you know, he, God's given him favor. The first thing he did when he went back was to go see Arafat. And, uh, and he had a lot of people praying for him, and he said, I need to go share the gospel with Arafat. And that's exactly what he did. And he said that as he was talking with him, uh, and it was a God thing that he could even spend time with him and share with him. He said that he shed a few tears even as he listened to the testimony of, of Taz. So never know what, you know, what seeds will do. So the people, you know, I talked about a Jewish believer, a Muslim background believer, and also just being in the culture uh, with uh, the Jewish community or with Muslims. I mean, the, the diversity and the richness of the culture, it's not just our differences, but this is actually uh, in one of the tunnels by the Temple Mount, and you can walk on bedrock in that area. And uh, there's, uh, there's an area where they think is probably 
just where the temple would have been on the Temple Mount. So there's a little synagogue uh, for women go and pray there. Um, and so this woman, and look at the size rocks, which they still haven't figured out how you end up getting rocks that, that are so massive. I think one of them is 35 feet long, just one stone, and then how many layers of that do you have uh, in, you know, the, the structure. And, and of course, you know, being I uh, love, I stayed on my sabbatical just right across from uh, uh, the Orthodox community in Yashari. And uh, so lots of uh, Orthodox men and women. And on Shabbat, there's one street that kind of goes right next to Measharim. And on Shabbat, they go on the corner of the street and, and scream, Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat. They try to stop the cars. So you always had a police officer or two on, on horses to be able to help cars go by. And many cars avoided that area, but now you have the light rail on Jaffa Road, so people have to go on the street next to it, which is right next to Meashari. So, and what broke my heart was to see the young, young boys, you know, following in the footsteps of their fathers, and screaming the same thing. And and uh, one time after one of those, you know, demonstrations, Jaffa, Jaffa. Um, there's, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if they were Eastern Orthodox or something, you know, some uh, Christians went to uh, Measharim in front of some businesses on Sunday and were shouting, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> so in other words, we have to close down on Shabbat, you have to close down on Sunday. You know? <laughs> so uh, made interesting uh, conversations and news. And here, this picture that I took on top of Masada, uh, in the place where the old synagogue was uh, on Masada, there is a scribe who is there and uh, doing his work as a scribe, doing Torah scrolls and other, uh, other scrolls. And he doesn't mind people are there and, you know, he'll show them uh, what he's doing and, he, you know, people come and go. And some people have services still in uh, that in that little open area that was the former synagogue. And uh, there was a bar mitzvah there uh, this summer when I was there, and it was very interesting. They were singing and having a great time. And so I went at the door, and I was singing with them. And, <laughs> And um, and then the little kids came and gave me candy, and they were you know so happy, and let's <laughs> all celebrate. And so it was really fun to see that on uh, on the t on uh, Masada. Now here is another interesting uh, picture. I love taking picture of of people. I think okay, how we talk about diversity here. Diversity looks a lot the same, you know, and but diversity there is so much more different and you have to adjust in different ways. So this man had this little one-string instrument. This is in small Petra, little Petra they call it. There's a little Petra behind the big Petra and uh, so he was back there and playing his one song. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, probably wanted a little bakshish or something. And, uh, but anyways, and then we moved, so he took his carpet and his instrument and he moved. And he went, <laughs> same tune, same string. And so it was interesting to be entertained with uh, what he was familiar with. And the other one is also, we were just hiking in an area in Jordan and seeing some areas you have a lot of Bedouins who still live uh, there in those areas and there are in the north of uh, Jordan we saw a lot of gypsies also who apparently just steal everybody's stuff around them so uh, you know people are careful in those areas so think okay is this what it looked like in biblical times you know but this is still what it looks like today and people are uh, you know, living outside and with their animals. And this man, this is a very interesting story. It's in Jordan also. And uh, 
the floor is a complete mosaic. This is the house where he was raised, and his whole family, brothers, sisters, parents, uh, were, uh, you know, their family was there. And then they started digging uh, the floor, and they found the mosaic, and eventually continued digging and found several layers of mosaic in this whole floor. It's beautiful. I mean, the artistry is gorgeous. The, uh, the, the animals and the flowers and the people in the, the mosaic. And there's a, a big Greek inscription. Uh, the whole width of, the, uh, of the, the floor of the house. So it's very interesting. It's not an area where tourists go. It's, uh, you know, our guide, she knew where he was, where he lived, where his house was. So he welcomed us and, and uh, unlocked the door and said, come on in and talked a little bit about his family and, and uh, the life that they lived in that house. And it was very interesting. So the hospitality, um, you know, is, is, was warm and precious. And this is as we were visiting this uh, big castle, uh, more in the north of Jordan. Uh, this lady was sitting outside with probably the grandchild because the, the parents were inside in visiting the castle while we were there. And I thought it was such an interesting living picture. Here's grandma, you know, and babysitting and taking care of the baby while the parents are are inside and actually the parents live in America now and they were just visiting their family so therefore they were doing touristy stuff that they just didn't do as a family and so they were visiting things and came to visit uh, his mother. Here's a wonderful brother, a believer, Zach. Uh, he is in the old city of Jerusalem and uh, I always recommend his shop for people if they're looking for something his shop or two shops down. Now he is a Palestinian Christian. Uh, we don't agree on everything, and uh, but he loves the Lord. I visited his church, an Arabic-speaking church, where they sing everything in Arabic and and uh, preach in Arabic. And there's one little old lady who has her microphone, and she's the one who translates everything and just sits there in the corner and just enjoys blessing those who come and speak English and she translates everything for us. And so he has a beautiful family, wonderful wife, two little girls, and so it's always a, a blessing to go and sit in his shop and go and talk about the Lord and what God is doing and, you know, I don't like to get into politics uh, much. Sometimes I'll listen to what they have to say, but uh, I don't like you know, the pull and push sometimes that they want they want you to side with one side or the other. I don't like that. I like uh, uh, our Jordanian guide who's uh, uh, also a Palestinian, he, a Christian, evangelical Christian. He said, you know, many of my colleagues will not take groups if, if the leader is Jewish or if the people are Jewish, they won't, uh, uh, they won't do it. But he said, for me, he said, everybody's created in the image of God. And he said, God loves all of us. And it was so refreshing to hear that and just be with someone who didn't go the political route, but just, you know, let's, let's love one another. And it was so interesting to have this kind of conversation, really enriching. That's one thing that I love. What to do in Israel? Talk to people. What to do in Jordan? Talk to people, ask questions, more than come with answers. And so uh, he's a wonderful brother. And then this is a wonderful gal who was on our trip and in Israel and also did the two weeks in Jordan. So we spent five weeks together. And her and her husband were missionaries in Nigeria for uh, several years. And uh, so we became friends. and. Living in Africa, she was used to traveling with all the medication you could possibly have. So she was like a pharmacy. And so if you needed anything, she had it. Might have been expired for years, but she had it, you know. And uh, so wonderful people who just uh, love to travel. And uh, so people, Muslims, 
Jews, Arab believers, Jewish believers, Christians, people from every country. That's one thing that makes Israel so, so rich, so interesting. And then, of course, the architecture, everything that you see, uh, the archaeology, everything that's been excavated. This is by the, the, um, the Mediterranean Sea up uh, uh, by Capernaum. It's part of the aqueduct, a long aqueduct that was built, I, don't, I think it was built by Herod, uh, somebody may know, and uh, to bring water from uh, one of the, the water sources into uh, the area where he had his palace and his baths and all this. And so this is uh, Caesarea, and, we, and it was a major port uh, on the Mediterranean that uh, served the Romans uh, for, uh, I don't know how long, but, and it's quite, a lot of it is now washed away, is underwater, but they've done excavations and found underwater excavation and found all kinds of structures and but the water is now covering it. So architecture, the buildings, the, you know, we think of people spend a lot of time, uh, the labor force that would have been involved in all of this and the jobs, they created jobs. And uh, now this is uh, in the north at Tel Dan where they found the Aramaic inscription, the Beit David Aramaic inscription. It's a, they found that probably 15, 20 years ago now. Uh, it's been published, and, and they found the second part to the inscription. And before that, they had nothing of this period. It dates to about 1000 BC. So it's a very early text in Aramaic that talks about Beit David. And uh, so not too long after David, maybe less than 1000 uh, BC, but not too long after David. And uh, so giving, uh, confirming that uh, David was an actual historical uh, person. Now this gate also is dated much uh, earlier than this, and it is thought that possibly Abraham would have got, come in this area, may even have stopped, because this is a site that would have existed at the time when he came uh, into the land after he was called by God to come down to uh, the land of Canaan. So interesting how they build their streets and how they build the structures and, and used, uh, used mud bricks in that, which is usually much older than some of the, the later periods. So very early to go to modern, this is actually in, the, in Jordan and it is a, um, a refugee camp. Uh, and so very, very compacted. If you look at uh, Shechem today, which is Nablus, the modern Nablus, and if you go on top of uh, Mount Ebal or Mount Gerizim, or the old site of Shechem, and you look down into Nablus, you can see which part of the city is actually the, the uh, refugee camp. And because it is so, so tight like this, and then you can see that the rest of Nablus is more spread out, you know, it's still city, uh, compacted enough, but not as tight. And one thing about the structure, even, uh, you know, you see this in Israel, in Jerusalem, uh, you know, just um, uh, in southeast of the Temple Mount, and I always think of David and Bathsheba when I see these kinds of structures, because they, if some people think, well, was, was she doing bathing on, on the roof of her house? Well, for one thing, uh, bathing, the word bathing is, is the word to wash. So there's nowhere in, in the text that tells you that she was naked bathing or sunbathing or, you know, doing anything inappropriate because they live, uh, as you can see, there's, they're fl flat roofs and they live on the roof and and uh, so I have interesting conversations with uh, people because the term is rachatz. Rachatz can mean to wash your feet, wash your dishes, wash yourself, wash, you know. And, but I think, okay, so you see what's going on next door on the roof. Uh, so I have a difficult time when people start talking about inappropriateness when that term is a very common term. Um, 
So anyway, so the, the, the structures, the buildings, and the close, the tightness. I saw another refugee camp in Bethlehem also where they're really tight like this. They don't give them a lot of space. And here along the road, all of a sudden, you come across this ancient tomb and with a rolling stone. And so, uh, you know, they're here and there in, in different areas of, uh, of uh, the, the land. So still structure, architecture, this is at Betshan. Betshan was a major town uh, during the Hellenistic period, especially. And uh, so you can see they've restored the columns. They were all down and they've excavated a lot of the site. It's, it's southwest of the Sea of Galilee, not very far. It's uh, up in, uh, from uh, Tiberias. It's a beautiful site with lots and lots of stuff there. And, uh, and then you have the ancient tell that is at this, this end. And the ancient tell, uh, they've, uh, the top of the tell is dated to the 1200 BC. And there's one tree on the tell and it's the tree that was used for mo the movie Jesus Christ Superstar where uh, Judas went and hung himself. And so that tree is still hanging there. <laughs> it's still uh, the only tree on the tell. And I had the chance to go and do some excavation there uh, quite a few years ago and found some remnants of Egyptian uh, uh, temple and Egyptian palace and different artifacts, which really helps us reconstruct history. So the Egyptians up till about 1200 BC were definitely in the land uh, of Canaan and had control of the land. And we know that with the Amarna text and etc. a number of other things. And so, you know, they did some <coughs> So this was an underground uh, aqueduct and I almost fell in, but anyways, I did. <laughs> and uh, you find uh, this kind of structure, uh, the theaters and amphitheaters, you find them uh, in Israel, you find them in Jordan, they're major structures in all the major towns they had. Uh, and it's interesting because if you stand in the middle, there is a point where if you stand, yeah, you, the echo, the acoustics are really, um, uh, you know, you you know, all of a sudden you hear the resonance in your ears when you hit the sweet spot, and uh, uh, wonderful structures, and also Jerash, a great site, huge site, and Petra, of course, uh, in the south, and. Uh, now Petra, I had been to Petra before and uh, we're familiar with some of the main structures when you walk in and all of a sudden you have the, 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 this structure. And, uh, but then we went up uh, on donkeys up to the top of uh, to the palace and we hiked the backside and we hiked for about six hours that day and just hiking in Petra. So you can walk the front part and you can, uh, I mean, there's structures built. So the Nabataeans are the ones who developed this whole system. The Nabataeans are, uh, uh, you know, closer to the Christian era. And uh, so they are the ones who learned to live in the desert. So they ended up, they, they Petra is in the desert, and instead of going north and following the roads uh, where there's water, they learn to dig wells in, in the Negev, if you want, and make it straight to Egypt. So they knew how to live in the desert. And so there are uh, many Nabataean sites, beautiful Nabataean sites, huge, because the Nabataeans became very, very rich uh, because of all the trade of the incense and the the spices and all of this, and they were able to, to go directly. And people depended on them for water and resources. A lot of mosaic floors. This is a beautiful heart at the, the, uh, on the Sea of Galilee at uh, the traditional site where Jesus would have said to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And so there are several rocks that are, you know, of course they've been carved to look like that, but it, you know, it's a place where you stop and think 
about uh, what happened in that area. Sea of Galilee is not very big. And so this is a, a part of the Deir Allah inscription. I always thought that Deir Allah was up in Syria, but it's not. It's just uh, on the east of the Jordan uh, River, uh, southeast of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, what's significant about this text is it's written in Aramaic, and it talks about Balaam, the, uh, the, uh, the one who calls curses on people. And it is dated the Balaam of the same area where the, our biblical Balaam, uh, Balaam, came from. So it probably refers to the same uh, Balaam and uh, who was called upon to curse Israel and he could not, God would not let him, and he blessed Israel. So it's an interesting text that connects the history of, uh, you know, the, even the second millennium to uh, a, someone who existed uh, during the biblical period but is recorded in a text that is outside of the biblical text. Now in Medaba in uh, Jordan, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, this is the first or the, the oldest map of Jerusalem. So you can see the wall of Jerusalem, and then the map has all these cities mentioned, towns, you know, uh, Bethlehem is mentioned somewhere, and, and everything, it's a whole uh, church uh, floor made in mosaics. But you can see the Cardo. Those who have been in Jerusalem and you know where the Cardo is, and so from the Damascus Gate to the Zion Gate, from one end to the other. So that's how they pictured uh, the um, Jerusalem at that time. And so everything written in Greek. And so it's an interesting map, very early map. You don't have a lot of maps from that period. And talking then about um, fauna and flora and nature, you know, this was my best buddy. And uh, so sleeping, animals everywhere, we're not used to that. I have my two dogs and people have cats and a few rabbits in my backyard. But, uh, you know, I was watching these sheep. Uh, it was interesting, just, you know, it's normal life. They're, they're all over the place. This is in the Negev in the south, very friendly. Uh, high backs and, and mountain uh, goats and and uh, this is as uh, we were going up uh, Petra, little, um, you know, I mean, I prayed. And, um, <laughs> because the road was very narrow and my donkey wanted to pass the donkey in front of me. And the donkey in front of me kept wanting to eat the grass on the side of the rock. And there was, you know, major uh, drop on one side, the rock on the other. So I left a piece of my left toe on one of the rocks there. And uh, so I was glad to get to the top. And uh, so were a lot of other people. But we all made it. And then at one point we went to visit a site that was a biblical site in northern Jordan and we had to walk through a camel farm and so the, the field was full of camels and so we just walked, they didn't bother us and we didn't bother them, we just kind of went to the site and we found a lot of pottery that was from 1000 BC uh, from all time periods. Um, and then flora, of course, there's a lot of uh, fruit everywhere. Here are fresh figs and beautiful flowers. It's gorgeous. And this is up in Banias in the north. Uh, you know, nature is, uh, this is gorgeous place to, to walk and hike and follow the, the river. Trade, once Israel is, is set up uh, in the land, then they can live a life that is very different than when they were nomads. And so these are part of the, the press, the olive press uh, that they used as they were, and then they could sell the oil. And uh, uh, we saw several of those in numerous places. And this is a threshing floor. The first thing you do is there are kind of uh, spikes underneath the plank, and you run that over your, your wheat and you break it up and then you take the shovel and you throw it in the air and then the chaff uh, flies away. I guess it's the chaff that flies away. 
And uh, so it's an interesting, this is a little town uh, Talmud, of the Talmudic period where they've reconstructed a lot of these things. It, it's interesting to see what they're doing. Uh, several years ago, they found a boat in the Sea of Galilee that dates to the time of Jesus. And you can go see that boat. It's a whole story of how they were able to get it out of the water because, it, uh, it, of course, it would break apart immediately. So they, they had to find a way to foam it and, and uh, eventually get it. So now they have a little museum. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Trade, making bread. This man was coming to make his bread uh, every day at the hotel and nice fresh bread. Also, we went to copper mines in the south, and uh, there are copper mines in Timna in the south uh, on the Israel side, and you have uh, copper mines on the Jordanian side, and it's full of copper everywhere. I mean, you can just fill your, your pockets, of course, have, have to be refined and, and done whatever you do with copper. But, uh, but it talks uh, in scripture about Solomon using copper, and uh, are we already in the minus two minutes? Or? Okay. And so religious, we have altars that are still there, standing. Uh, this is at Megiddo. Uh, religious site at Banias, you have Canaanite gods that were placed in some of these niches and uh, worshipped at that time. This is the goddess on top of uh, Sela. I'm actually sitting in a, uh, a shrine uh, bowl or something like that. And, uh, and then the adventures, I'll go through this quickly. We did jeep rides in the, um, in the Wadi Ram in the south of Jordan, it was gorgeous. This is a hike that we did on the way down from the Arbel Pass. As you can see, there are metal clamps you have to hang on to and towards. You would love that. <coughs> I love that one. And, uh, and then you hike down. You have to help one another, so it's kind of a team-building effort and a lot of praying. And then uh, when you get to the bottom, then you hike back to the top uh, on the back of the mountain, which is also not easy. Uh, so here are people coming down. Tracy and her husband were, uh, did that, and their daughter did that. Uh, so then uh, <coughs> these, is our, these are the jeeps in which we went down in the south in the Wadi Ram and saw this uh, old Nabataean inscription that is still written there in the rock. And so you don't have a lot of uh, ancient inscriptions still sitting around. This is another Jeep, uh, another a pickup truck or a Jeep or something uh, that brought us to this mountain called Selah. And Selah in Hebrew means rock. And uh, so we climbed Selah, and that's where there are shrines at the top. And this was quite the hike. Now, the, the, this, I thought this was uh, one of the most difficult moments because the driver was driving erratically on the side of the mountain with all of us in the back and I was just hanging on for dear life. And so anyways, we hiked this area. This is uh, our, our pickup truck rides to the, the copper mines. We just hung on to, uh, got stuck in the sand and pushed and pulled and had a great time. Um, this is actually Syria. Uh, that we see. Uh, we're in Israel here at the corner uh, on the Golan Heights and uh, we're looking across there is the demilitarized zone and then we could actually hear booms when we were in this area. And then if you look to the left and you see uh, Mount Hermon right here, there was still snow on Mount Hermon. Then if you look to the left of that you, you can see Lebanon uh, from there. So, And this is not a real man. It's a metal, uh, but that's where we were at that place that was used for, um, for military uh, engagement. This is actually, I'm in Jordan, and this is Elat. I'm in Aqaba uh, on the uh, Jordanian side, and just looking at uh, Israel. And I'm going to finish with a couple of, uh, uh, this is over the Sea of Galilee. This is one of the, the stay on, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee at a kibbutz, a wonderful kibbutz there. And so this one night I took this picture, I think I was with Nehama, and uh, they came. <coughs> this is a, a, what we were 
welcomed with when we arrived in Petra. Mm -hmm. And so the sun was coming down, it was beautiful. And then when we were in Aqaba, we got there just in time for the sun to set over Israel. And uh, the West was just beautiful. And then my last slide is that I achieved sainthood while I was there. And uh, <laughs> so here is the confirmation. All right, amen. That's it. <laughs> okay. So, you know, there are so many more things that, you know, we did that I could talk about. I thought, okay, do I make this a Bible teaching or do I just kind of revisit the trip? And, uh, you know, it's not advertising for the trip, but it's, it's uh, you know, it opens your eyes in such a different way. And uh, going there and meeting the people, talking, and, and so reading the Bible is one thing, but really being among the people makes the Bible come alive in a different way. So a lot of hiking opportunities, we do a, a lot, and that's one thing that I love about our course. We hike in the south, we hike in the north, we hike in the uh, all over. We walk a lot in Jerusalem and in the Shvela, and we walk uh, in Jordan uh, all over the place. We did a lot of uh, hiking, climbing, and descending and all this. So I'm very thankful to the Lord for the opportunity. Love, love the trip, and it changes me, and it changes the way I teach every time I go. And so, uh, you know, my prayer is that it's not just... I'm having fun while I'm there, but how, how does it form me as a person? And how do I also understand a little bit more of the Middle Eastern mentality and the hospitality and the conflicts and all of these things? And because you hear a lot more about that. Where are you going again? Lord knows. Denver Seminary will go in two years, but I don't know if I'll be the one leading. I never know until the year before. And so, and we rotate the faculty, and now we have a new faculty member in the Old Testament department. So, I hope he's busy that year. <laughs> and so, but anyway, so it's it's uh, we should organize the Den uh, Yeshua Zion trip, you know. Okay, so. <laughs> We have a lot of espers. You have, you've been over there many times. Just go on over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots, uh, so it's encouraging you to. Well, let, let's just close in prayer and give thanks to the Lord for what He does. And so, Father, we, we talked a little bit about the work you did in people there. And, uh, and this wonderful, wonderful young man in prison, how you reveal yourself to him and how you spoke to Tass and changed his life and how he's now serving you and so many other people, Lord. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to protect Israel and to intervene in the Middle East to protect innocent lives. And Father, we pray that uh, you would continue to to speak to us through your word and open our eyes to what you have for us. And we love you and we thank you and we give you praise and thanks. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen.